there's a lot of things that that uh, that sometimes the congregation doesn't know, and that and one of them is just how how painful it is to preach. It is painful, and preparing this week to do it, uh, I just am so grateful to Milton and to the others that do it for us so often. Uh, but it just drew me uh, to the realization once again that um, that God has to show up, and that. I have nothing to give you without him and without his strength. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin by praying for all of us and for our time together, and then we're going to dive in. So join me in a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you so much that you love Cornerstone because you died for Cornerstone, and you died for each one of us in this room. And Father, um, I am grateful for your word. I'm grateful for the, the, the fact that we can know you. And this morning, we want to know you. We want to see you. I pray that you would just reveal yourself to us through your scriptures, that you would cause us to love you even more as we behold your glory, as we behold your beauty. And Father, we just thank you for this time. I just pray you be with me and with those who hear your word. Bless us both and cause us to follow after you even more, as that's what we're going to be talking about. Bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 8. <clears throat> Mark chapter 8. I'm really excited to be preaching today because today is Palm Sunday. Today is the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem. It was the end of a long journey for him that would culminate in just five days with his crucifixion and then his resurrection. And, and the day that he entered into Jerusalem, here's a picture of the Mount of Olives. He came over the Mount of Olives and down through the Kidron Valley and he came up into the temple to the praise and to the, to the cheering of the crowds and the multitudes. Matthew says the whole city was stirred up and they were celebrating Jesus, praising God for him and rejoicing. Yet there was a problem. There was a problem because these people were blind. They were anticipating the wrong thing. They were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, literally save us, O Lord, save now, we pray. And they were crying out for salvation. But the salvation that they wanted was freedom from the Romans. They wanted a conquering Messiah to come in to destroy the enemy And to bring peace and prosperity and a comfortable life and everything that they wanted. And what they didn't realize was that Jesus was going to bring salvation. But instead uh, instead of the salvation from the Romans, Jesus was going to bring salvation from our sins. Instead of a conquering Messiah, Jesus was coming that day into Jerusalem as a suffering Messiah as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world by dying on a cross. And yet the people could not see it. They were blind. They were blind to everything that Jesus had done. They were blind to everything that Jesus had said about himself. They were blind about everything that the Scriptures said about Jesus. And all they could see, all they could see was what they wanted to see and what they wanted from Jesus. You see, they wanted to follow him to the place that they wanted him to take them. But they didn't want to follow him to the place he was leading them. And God's desire for us this morning, as it was for them, was that we would see, that we would see, that we would see what Jesus was coming to do. You see, for many of us, when we look at the cross, and that's what we need to do this week, as we're coming to the passion of Christ, as we're seeing as we're, as we're counting down the days to the cross, as we're contemplating what Jesus has done, so often what we do is we look at the cross and we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you died so I could live. Thank you that you suffered so I could have peace. Thank you that you did all the hard stuff so I could just have a nice, comfortable, quiet life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. And see, Jesus, when he came into Jerusalem, what he was really doing, he was coming to the cross. He was coming to the cross to do the things that you and I can't do to save us from our sins. And that's, there's no doubt about that. But he was doing something else, and it was big. And he was paving a road. 
He was paving a road that he wants you and I to walk on as his disciples. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. And that's what our text is about this morning. If you turn to Mark chapter 8, verse 22. See, Jesus wants us to see not only the cross and what it bought us, but he wants us to see his life, his sufferings, even his death as a road that he is calling every one of us to follow without exception. The sad thing was that not even his own disciples could see this. You know, the whole book of Mark, it it, it can be divided right in the middle. Actually, we're coming right to the turning point this morning. And for the first eight chapters, Jesus has been doing all these things and the disciples still don't understand who he is. They don't understand. They don't see it. And so Jesus is going to take them on a journey. He's really going to take them, literally, on a road trip up to the north. And and they're going to leave Bethsaida at the Sea of Galilee, at the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to head up to Caesarea Philippi, 25 miles to the north, at the foot of Mount Hermon. And Jesus has a very specific purpose for this trip. And it's that they would come to know what he was going to do on this earth and what it was going to cost them as well. What it meant to be his disciples. And that's what we want to see this morning. And I just find it fascinating that before they go on the trip in verse 27, look what happens in verses 22 to 26. Read them with me. And they came to Bethsaida, the town right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And some people brought to him a blind man and they begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes. And he was restored and he saw all things clearly. And he sent him home to his village saying, do not even enter the village. I want you to see something about this story because it's not coincidence that it occurs right before the trip that Jesus takes his disciples on. You see, this blind man, yes, Jesus healed him because he loved him. Yes, it was it was uh, it was it was a genuine healing. But this man's healing serves a purpose and it serves as a picture of not only the people on that Palm Sunday, but also the disciples. You see, they were blind. The disciples were still blind. And they needed a touch from Jesus to be able to see. In fact, let's, let's start reading as we go along the trip here. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he began to ask them, his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And then he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. You see, Peter, when he stepped forward as the the spokesman for the group, he, he finally came to partial sight. Here's where we get to the to the the dividing point of Mark. And just like this man that was healed, Jesus, God the Father, through Jesus, touched Peter and the disciples to finally begin to barely see who Jesus was. In fact, we see in Matthew's account of of Peter's confession, it says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, Jesus had allowed the disciples to begin to see but they were only seeing partially. And Peter was doing the same thing here now that that the people were doing in Palm Sunday that were receiving Jesus in. They're saying, yes, Jesus, come. You're the king. You're the one who's going to make life easy for us. You're going to reign, boot out our enemies. And Peter's thinking the same things. He only has one part of of the view or the, the perspective on who Christ was. And notice in verse 30, Jesus says, and he strictly charged them to tell no one about it. Jesus was tired of hearing about the Messiah the way that people were defining him. 
And, and Jesus was ready to have everybody be quiet and listen to what he had to say about who he was. And more importantly, what that had to do or how that had to impact the disciples and their lives. And so we begin to see Jesus teaching his disciples. They're on that road and they're walking and Jesus begins to teach them. He wants to complete their eyesight. He wants to, to, like the blind man, he wants to give them complete vision so that they know who he is and what he came to do. And so this morning I want to show you four requirements, four requirements in order to be Jesus' disciple. Jesus is on this road with a very specific purpose. He wants them to know what it means to follow him. And in order to do that, he's got to show them what he's doing. He's going on a road that, 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 that he's paving, that he's trekking, and they're to be right behind him. And notice what Jesus begins to do in verse 31. It says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. You see, Jesus, this is the first time that Jesus begins to point to the cross. This is the first time that Jesus begins to indicate that things aren't actually going to go the way that everybody's thinking they're going to go. He's not going to reign right now. He's not going to triumph right now. He's not going to wipe out enemies and make life really happy and easy right now. And notice what it says in verse 32. And he said this plainly, meaning he was speaking with boldness. He, he didn't want anybody talking about the Messiah the way that the popular, the, the popular perception of the Messiah had, had, had evolved. They, they, he was tired of that. And he, he, that's why he told the disciples, be quiet. Stop. I forbid you. I rebuke you to, to, to talk about me concerning me that way. But now with boldness, he begins to proclaim this other side of him and who he really is at this first coming and what he came to do. And, and our, first, our first requirement, our first call by Jesus to discipleship comes in these verses in 31, 32, and 33. And it's this. If you want to follow Jesus, you've got to trust God's plan for your life. You've got to trust God's plan for your life. And where do I get that? Watch with me. As he began to say these things, he was saying, the Son of Man must. It is necessary. And what he means by that is, this is written in Scripture. This is written on the heart of God. This is part of his very will from eternity past. This has to happen. This is God's plan. There's no way around this. And, and notice Peter's reaction. It says, Peter turned and, and took him aside and began to rebuke him. He was saying, Lord, forbid it. This will never happen to you. It, it's kind of interesting because Peter's motives weren't altogether unselfish. They weren't, they weren't pure. You see, Peter, Peter understood that if, if Jesus was the Messiah, hey, we're going to reign with him. I'm going... We're, on, we're turning around from up there, says we're coming back down to Jerusalem. And soon Jesus is going to bust the doors open and we're going to, the party's going to get started and we're going to be right there with him, reigning with him, having a great time with him, ruling. And I may get to sit at his left side or his right, but it's going to be great. And so when Jesus begins to talk this way, that I'm going I'm to I'm suffer many things and be rejected and killed. Peter's like, what are you talking about, Lord? Because Peter knows that not only is it, is it changing the way he's seeing Jesus, but his own life. Peter's saying, if, if Jesus, my, my, my teacher, my master, my Lord, is going to suffer, what does that say about me? What does that say about my life and God's plan for my life? You see, Peter wasn't trusting God's plan for Jesus' life or for his own life. Peter wanted an easy path. You see, you know... If we were all to be honest with ourselves, there's none of us who want a difficult path in this life. None of us want hardship. You know, if we could, if we could liken our path or what we could create, maybe more women than men, but it'd be something like this. It'd be a sweet garden path with, with, um, with even walkways 
and, and the, bree- the cool breeze and mild temperatures and the, 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 the sound of a waterfall in the distance and birds chirping in the trees. It would be an easy road that we would walk in comfort and ease and enjoyment. That's what we would paint if we could create our, our own life for ourselves. And often that's what we're trying to do. But Jesus is trying to teach his disciples that, he, that God has a plan for each one of us. And, and it doesn't look like this. It actually looks more like this. Like Mount Everest. You know, my wife and I, we have, uh, we have Netflix and we get to watch movies in bed um, on our laptop. And uh, it's, I, I got so addicted to, uh, to these two seasons on Discovery Channel, Beyond Everest and Beyond, or whatever it was, Beyond Everest. Uh, this is this whole reality show about people who were climbing Everest. And uh, it's, it's fascinating. But Everest is a crazy place. It's, it's, uh, it's 29,000 feet high. It's very cold. Uh, like getting down to like minus 80 cold. Um, to climb Mount Everest means that you start at 18,000 feet at the base camp and you ascend more than 12,000 feet. Like, like up ice with vertical drops going down to eight and 10,000 feet to your death. And you, you, uh, you, 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 you endure winds of up to 80 miles an hour. And you, you're doing it on a third of the oxygen that's at sea level. And you're, and you're, you're, you're struggling because you're, you're, you're dealing with frostbite and hypothermia and uh, you know, nausea, constant nausea and, and high altitude mountain sickness and, and all of these things. And it's just not, it doesn't seem like a very fun thing to do um, for most people. And, and this is what God is saying it's going to be like to be his disciple. Jesus is saying God had a path, or God is showing us, and Jesus is showing us, God had a path for Jesus to walk, and God has a path for you and I to walk. And, and we need to trust his plan. Each one of us is going to be given a road to walk in this life. And the amazing thing is that each one of us has a path to walk that's totally unique. No one else has your path. God has created a path for you to walk very similar to Jesus and it's unique to you. And and the reason we need to trust that plan for our lives is because of the one who's giving it to us. God is good and he gives good things to his children and he's saying, this is good for you. I've designed it especially for you And, and you are to receive it and believe me, trust in me when I give you this. And not only do we trust God's plan for our lives because of the one who gives it to us, but because of the purpose behind it. God is saying, I'm going to accomplish in your life through this path that I've created for you amazing things. I'm going to glorify myself. I'm going to, I'm going to exalt myself. I'm going to bring you to a place that you could never get on your own. And I'm going to use you in a mighty way in other people's lives all as you walk that path. And... The thing that we need to remember from this passage is we're going to be tempted to take the easier path. We're going to be tempted to take the easier path by the world, by Satan, by our own flesh. And it was no different for Jesus. Satan had tempted Jesus. In the wilderness, Satan had come to Jesus and he had said, Jesus, just bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And I'll give you all the glory that you deserve. I'm giving you the easy way out. You, don't, you won't have to go to the cross. You'll get what you, what's coming and what you deserve if you just do it this way. And Jesus knew that for him there was only one path and that was the one that the Father had given him for his life. And now here in this passage, Peter's doing the same thing to Jesus. He's rebuking him and he's saying, Lord, this will never be. You're not going to go to the cross. And so Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. In other words, Peter, you're not in ranks. Get behind me and, and, and start following me again. And get out of my way. Stop being my opponent, my adversary in front of me. And let me go and let me walk on the path that God has given to me. Move out of my way. And the reason that Peter was doing this was because he wasn't trusting. Look what Jesus says. He says, you are setting your mind on the thing. Not, you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but you're setting your mind on the things of man. Meaning you're focusing on your perspective, on your plan, and not on God's. 
Peter was not trusting God's plan for his own life. And for some of us, for some of us right now, we are in a place where God is taking us on a, on a very difficult thing. We are experiencing things on our path right now that are things that are overwhelming, more frightening than we ever imagined, and are causing us to cry out and say, Why, Lord? Why are you doing this to me? How can this be happening in my life right now? And, and you're being tempted. Some of you may be being tempted to doubt God's plan for your life and to, to want to turn any other way and to, and to find an easier path, to run away and say, Lord, I cannot do this. I cannot walk this path. It's too hard. And I need to find an easier path. But we need to be doing what Jesus was doing, and that was entrusting ourselves to God and His plan for our lives. Notice what Jesus did in His darkest hour, in the Passion Week that we are approaching right now, as we're headed to the cross on Friday. Jesus, it says of Jesus in 1 Peter 2.23, And while being reviled, He did not revile in return. While suffering, He uttered no threats. But He kept entrusting Himself to God. He kept entrusting himself to his Father. Jesus was trusting God's plan for his life. And to be his disciple, Jesus says, you've got to trust God's plan for your life. You've got to remember that Jesus has you right where he wants you. Whatever you're experiencing right now, and he wants you to trust him. No matter what may come, Jesus is saying, to be my disciple, you have got to trust God's plan for your life. And so that's point number one, and it comes from these verses as, as Jesus is dealing with Peter. And now Jesus moves into the second requirement to be his disciple. The second requirement, and it's found in verse 34, along with the next three. Read the text with me in, in, in verse 34 of Mark 8. It says, And calling the crowd to himself with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. You see, Jesus is saying it's not enough to just trust God's plan for your life. You have got to be willing to submit to it. And it really, that is trust. That's trust lived out. You've got to be willing to deny yourself, Jesus says. Now understand what he's saying. He's not saying you starve yourself, you deprive yourself, so no more trips to, for Costco pizza, no more Home Depot, uh, no, you know, no, no, all the things that you want, late night TV. He's not talking about denying yourself of things, although that may be part of what ends up happening. But he's not talking about you denying yourself of things. He's saying deny, not things, deny yourself. And to deny yourself means that you refuse to recognize or acknowledge yourself. It was the same word when Peter denied Jesus. He didn't recognize him. He didn't acknowledge him during his trial. And that's what we're to do with ourselves. Jesus is calling you to die to your will. And that's what it means to deny yourself. To die to your dreams, your desires, your ambitions. All the things you've ever wanted, all the things you were ever scheming and planning about your life that, you, that you're dying for and you're dreaming of. Jesus is saying, take all of that and kill it and, and destroy it if you're going to be my disciple. You've got to kill your own will. And you've got to submit to God's will. And to, to fail to deny yourself is to deny Jesus. And, 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 and the picture that Jesus is painting here, it's total submission in every area of your life. And this is nothing new in, in the scriptures. I mean, think about, think about the garden. Think about the beginning. Think about the, the way that God wanted it from day one. He created Adam and Eve to be in a place where they would always be underneath His will, His revealed will. Never did God imagine or want them to, to just drift off into whatever they wanted to do. No, He wanted them right there under His revealed will to think and to do what He had revealed and wanted. And sin came into the world when Adam and Eve began to think apart from God's will and they began to act apart from God's will. And to do that, to think apart from God's will, to act apart from God's will, is at the heart of what sin is. 
And so Adam and Eve blew it, and so have we, because we have failed to submit to God, to our Creator. But what we failed to do, Jesus did perfectly from his, from his birth to His ascension. Jesus completely and entirely and at all times was submitted to the will of His Father. Jesus did it perfectly. Look at, listen to Jesus' words. Listen to what he says. He says in John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And in John 6, just one chapter over, he says, For I have come, I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And, and don't think this was easy for Jesus, because in his humanity, he had desires. He had desires. And yet, he submitted them to the Father. In the garden, on the night before his crucifixion, he's praying and he's crying out in Matthew 26. And listen to, to what, what, what's going on here. He says, And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face. And he prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. You see, Jesus in his humanity that very night, he His desire was to escape the pain of the cross. But yet, notice what happens just a few verses down. It says, He went away again a second time and He prayed, saying, My Father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, then Your will be done. Meaning, Lord, if, 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 if this can't pass away, meaning if this is Your will for me, Then, then your will be done. Meaning, I will submit to your will. And he left the garden that night totally ready and willing and committed to submitting himself to the Father's will. To go to that cross and to suffer for you and I. See, Jesus, if you're going to be his disciple, Jesus wants you out of the way. He wants you to kill your will, trash it, get it out of the way, and begin to live the way that he's going to call you to live. And that means being submitted to Him, no matter what He's asking of you, no matter what He's ordaining for you. I love, I love reading this part of the Gospel Primer. I mean, just, just listen to these things that we need to die. We need to die. We need to die. When my flesh yearns for some prohibited thing, I must die. When called to do something I don't want to do, I must die. When I wish to be selfish and serve no one, I must die when shattered by hardship that I despise. I must die. When wanting to cling to wrongs done against me, I must die. When enticed by allurements of the world, I must die. When wishing to keep besetting sin secret, I must die. When wants that are borderline needs are left unmet, I must die. When dreams, my dreams, that are good, seem shoved aside, I must die die and, and, and Jesus is calling us to die and the question is are we willing to do that in everything in everything no matter what may come Jesus is saying to be my disciple guys to, me, to be my disciple you must submit to God's will for your life and so that's the second point the third point is found in the same verse in verse 34 and it says, Jesus says, And if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Take up his cross and follow me. You see, as disciples of Jesus, Jesus is calling you to embrace the suffering that God is going to place in your life. He's calling you to embrace that suffering 
to take up your cross. What does that mean? What does that mean to take up your cross? Jesus has just told you, leave everything that you ever wanted, that you ever were dreaming and scheming and building and planning. Die to that and now pick up this beam of wood and carry this cross and follow me. And what he means is embrace the suffering that God's going to place in your life as a result of living for Jesus and for his gospel. You're being called to suffer. You're being called to walk on that road that Jesus paved for you. He already came and suffered. And he's saying, I did it. I'm calling you to do it. Now take up your cross and follow me. Live like me. And suffer like I did. Now don't get, don't get me wrong. It's not, this isn't, this isn't that you go out and look for suffering. This isn't monasticism or asceticism where you, you try to keep suffering on yourself to be godly. The world does that and, and really to no eternal benefit. And they've done that for centuries. But Jesus is talking here about embracing the suffering that God's going to place. You don't have to go looking for it. It's going to come to you. God is going to place it along your path as you walk on, on the journey, on the road that he has prepared for you. And he's going to place it there. Persecution and trials. And the things that you're going to experience for him as you walk for him and like him. So you, you just need to embrace it. You need to pick it up and take it and, and make it yours. The, the suffering that Jesus is talking about is suffering for his name. If you look at the scriptures, all the suffering that, that is this kind of suffering is suffering for his name's sake, for the gospel, for the kingdom of heaven, for righteousness, for, what is, for, for doing what is right, for being a believer. That's the kind of suffering we're talking about. And Jesus says, remember, remember what I just told you, what I just finished telling you. The Son of Man must suffer. And so must you. It's no different with us. In fact, look at Jesus' words in 1 Peter 2, 20. If when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his footsteps. Jesus is saying, look, I did it. You're going to do it. You need to embrace suffering. You need to follow my footsteps. And as you live for Jesus in this sinful world, in this adulterous and perverse generation, notice what Jesus says. He's going to, he says, expect suffering, expect persecution. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So Jesus says, expect suffering. Expect it in the workplace. Expect it with a boss who wants you fired because he can't stand you. Expect it in the home where you might face an unbelieving spouse who wants nothing to do with you or Jesus and wants to finalize that divorce. Expect it in school where your classmates and peers will look at you as a fool for your faith and think you weak and gullible for following Jesus Expect it in your family where relatives will gossip about you and where you will lose the opportunity to have the relationships you wanted with your daughter or with your son or with your mother or with a cousin. Jesus says, I've, I've suffered all of these ways. From loss of family to being beaten, everything. And Jesus says, to take up your cross is to follow Jesus and is to experience all of that. Persecution, rejection, scorn, isolation, humiliation, reproach, shame, opposition, abuse. Perhaps, maybe even for some of us, torture and death. And not only this kind of persecution or this kind of suffering, but also suffering that comes just with living for Jesus and the gospel. Things like illness, discomfort, pain, poverty. Because Jesus was homeless because he was serving God. And, and Paul experienced labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, all for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. Jesus is saying, you, you need to embrace this. And some of us are saying, why? What, what does this accomplish? What does this do, Jesus? And Jesus is saying, you need to embrace it because it's the way that God is accomplishing amazing things. I want you to think about this for a minute. 
Everything that we have from Jesus came by means of his suffering. Listen to this quote by Piper. Christ absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf and he did it by suffering. Christ bore our sins and purchased our forgiveness and he did it by suffering. Christ provided a perfect righteousness for us that becomes ours in him and he did it by suffering. Christ defeated death and he did it by suffering death. He disarmed Satan and he did it by suffering. Christ purchased perfect final healing for all of his people and he did it by suffering. Christ will bring us finally to God and he will do it by his sufferings. God chose to use suffering in the life of Jesus to accomplish his will and God has chosen suffering in your life and my life to accomplish his will. Paul Tripp, I love his quote, he says, God wants to take you to where you do not want to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. None of us would want this. None of us would want to be refined and grown to be more like Jesus Christ through suffering and pain. But Jesus says, this is what you need. This is what you need. And we need to see our suffering, that it's a means to pleasing God. It's a means to perfecting us. It's a means to learning obedience, to making us more dependent on Jesus and crying out to him and saying, Lord, I cannot walk this path. Help me. I can't endure these things without you. Help me. It's meant to grow our relationship with Christ. And God even uses it in the lives of other people. He'll take your suffering and he'll use it in the life of someone else to accomplish blessing and edification in their life. That was Paul's life as he suffered for Jesus in prison. And yet many people came to the gospel. Many people were drawn to Christ because of his suffering. See, seen this way as, as a gift and as a way that, that God is going to transform us, as God's going to do amazing things in us, God's going to produce in us infinite good. The suffering is a gift. And, we, and, and to take up your cross means you embrace it and you say, I'll take it. Jesus, give it to me. Give it to me. I, I want to embrace it and with boldness. So Jesus is calling you to take up your cross if you want to be his disciple. The last point Jesus is making to his disciples, the the fourth requirement to be his disciple, he says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to follow me throughout all of your life. You need to, to follow me through all of your life. To follow Jesus simply means this, that he becomes the consuming focus and passion of your life. Jesus says, just, just follow me. Just, just follow right behind me. I'm going to go before you, and you just need to follow me. And as, as, as we do that, Jesus serves as our example. Jesus serves our, as our example. As, as we study his life, and as we see, what, 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 what did Jesus do here? So that I, as I follow him, I can do that. What is he doing there? Okay, he's doing this so I can, I can respond the same way, and I can become like Jesus and so as, as you follow him, he serves as your example. But he also becomes your motivation. He's right there with you. He's always your constant source of help and encouragement and strength. Notice what Jesus is asking you to do. He's not, he's not saying, look, I've prepared a road for you and it's really hard. It, it, it's really steep. So I just want you to get on that road and start walking and, and peace be with you and go and and hope it all works out. No, Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to walk this road with you. In fact, I've walked everybody's road with them. I've walked the hardest road that you'll never walk. And so I'm able to walk right in front of you. And you just need to follow me. You just need to grab onto me and you need to walk with me. You know, going back to Everest, just again being fascinated with this show. Uh, when, you, when you climb Everest, you don't just climb it like by yourself. You don't just like land on a plane in Nepal and and then hike up to the mountain and just kind of start taking off on your own. Maybe one or two people have done that, but, but what most people do these days is they, they pay money, and they pay money to become part of an expedition, and they're paying upwards of sometimes $50,000 to summit the peak. And what they're buying is they're buying expertise. They're buying a guide. They're buying what is called a Sherpa, and a Sherpa is a national, either a guy from Tibet or Nepal, who has lived at high altitude and has, is totally acclimated to that environment. And, and these guys are, are supermen. They've summited the peak several times. In fact, several Sherpas have, have summited in the teens, 20, 19, 18 times. Um, 
they, they, they're experts at this. And what they do is, before you even start your trek up the mountain, this is what they do. They go up to the peak for you. What they do is they go up and they start laying that season's safety line for you. And so they go up and they hike without any rope. And they put in the rope, the safety rope, that you're going to be tied to the whole time you go up. And they get all the way to the summit for you and before you. And then they come all the way back down. And then they get you and all your gear and they help you go up that mountain. And the whole time that you're going up that mountain, you are attached to them. And they're there guiding you, pulling you. And when you're, when you're getting so disoriented and, and dizzy and doing stupid stuff, about to fall off the cliff, he's there to grab you. And when, 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 you, when, you, when you don't want to go any further, he's there to pull you and say, come on, keep coming, come on. This is what Jesus is for us. He is our guide. He already went to the cross. He already walked that road. He already summited his peak. And he says, now I'm going to go up with you. And you're not going to be alone. To follow Jesus is to know that we're not alone, that he's with us and that we're going with him and that we need to stay attached to him and to trust in him. And notice what happens if we don't do that. Notice what happens if we try to summit a different path, go up a different way, go, go our own way without Jesus as our guide and follow him. Notice what happens in verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? See, Jesus is saying, look, there's no other way. There's no other way. There's no other way. You will be dead if you don't follow me. To not follow me is to die. And you'll lose your life. You have to follow me. There's no other choice. And Jesus says, be careful if you think that you can take another road. Be careful if you think you can walk your own path or get out of the path that I've given you, be careful. Because even if walking your own path gets you everything you ever wanted and everything that the world could give you, you're going to lose it and you will die. And so to follow Jesus, is, there's just no choice. That's the only way to live. And not only is there no other choice, but there's nothing else to compare with that. Following... Following Jesus is, we've got to understand, it's not like Jesus is saying, look, I've given you this path, I've given you this life to live, and it's really hard, and it's full of suffering, and at the end of it, you're going to die, and that's it. Sorry, that's it, it's over. No, God is saying, look, yes, I understand that, that these struggles are, 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 are difficult. I know that you struggling with cancer right now is not what you wanted. I know that... That, that dealing with the loss of your job right now is not what you expected. I know that dealing with a son or a daughter who's rebelling against you and not following the Lord is not what you can handle right now. But, but, but just endure this. Trust me. Follow me through this path. Because at the end of it, actually, right here, it's going to come to an end and you're going to do what I did. You're going to come into glory. You see, Jesus did that. He suffered and died but he rose again and he ascended into heaven and he experienced the glory of, of, of a resurrected life and of, of being in the Father's presence. And that's what we have to look forward to. Notice these scriptures. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not, I'm sorry, the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not yet seen are eternal. Jesus is saying, look, just, just get behind me and let's go through this together. And right on the other side, it's momentary and it's like, even though it feels like a massive stone crushing you right now, you are going to get through this if you just keep stepping with me and following me. And on the other side of that, there is something that you can't even comprehend. In Romans 8, 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's no comparison. Jesus is saying, look, to follow me isn't ultimately that hard. Just follow me. And you're going to come through it. 
and out into glory with me. You know, it's amazing about this story. If you look at the end of Mark chapter 8 and into verse 9, what immediately follows is the transfiguration. You know, I don't think it was an accident that, that, that this is how the text was arranged. Jesus is, he wants to give his disciples hope. See, they were up at Caesarea Philippi at the, at the, at the foot of Mount Hermon, and that's where he was transfigured. And right after that, they were going to come back from their road trip, back from their journey, and guess where Jesus was headed? He was headed straight to Jerusalem, straight to die, straight to finish walking that road for us. But before he went that way, he wanted to give his disciples some hope. He wanted to give him them a vision, a picture of what things were going to be like for him and, and, and by reason of that, for them. And so he transfigured himself. He revealed his glory to them. He showed them who he really is and would come with in power and in glory and in majesty to encourage them. And, and, and that, that transfiguration was just a small picture, was foreshadowing of the resurrection and even a greater foreshadowing of the second coming when Jesus says, I will come back, in verse 38, um, I will come back in the glory of my Father with the holy angels. And those who are his disciples will come with him. But those who have been ashamed of him, those who have chosen not to follow him, who have rejected him, he says, I will be ashamed of you in that day when I come back. And so th- there's an encouragement here for us just to follow. He says, follow me through, and and that's where you're headed. And all the things that you're experiencing right now, I know they're hard. I know they hurt. I know that you wouldn't choose them for yourself. But I have experienced things just like them. In fact, I went to the cross for you so that you would be able to walk with me on this path. So Jesus wants us to follow him with all of our life, for the rest of our life. You know, it's amazing to think about the disciples. They, going back to the blind man, they, they, they couldn't see very clear. And, 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 and even after all of this teaching, Jesus tells him about his suffering three more times, and then he goes to the cross. And it's not after his, until his resurrection, until they have the Holy Spirit, that God really opens their eyes. But my, my prayer is that this morning that you would see clearly, that you would see that God is the one who is saying, you need to, to see what I've done and what it means for you. And you need to see what it means to be my disciple. Even though it's hard, it's not impossible. I'm with you. Trust me. Submit to me. Embrace the suffering I'm going to put in your life and follow me. For some of you that um, you're not yet his disciple, you haven't come to that point where you've bent the knee to him. And you need to do that. You need to choose to do that soon. Like now. And for some of us, it's a matter of, of, of the temptation and the, the pressure we're under right now to give up. Some of us are, are on the brink of giving up. We're on the brink of taking our own path, of stopping following Jesus. And Jesus is saying, just continue to follow me. Continue to follow me. Let's pray that we'll do that. And as we enter into the Passion Week, let's, let's keep thinking about the cross. Jesus went to the cross, yes, to purchase our salvation. And because of that, we can walk with him. We can be his disciples. But he also paved the road that he wants us to walk on. Let's pray. Father, I just pray for myself and for all of us here at Cornerstone that all of us would long to be your disciples, that we would see clearly who you are, what you came to do for us. We thank you that you did walk that road. We thank you that you didn't take another path. We thank you that you went to the cross for us. And because of that, we're saved And now you're saying, now follow me in that. Follow me in the life that I lived and in the suffering that I experienced and in the death that I died. And do it because it's good for you and it'll bring me glory. And Father, that's what we want. We want that good and we want that glory, Lord. We want want that glory for you and we want the infinite good that it's going to bring us. Lord, we pray for that today. We pray that for your people. Lord, as we we come to, to bring our offerings, I just pray that we would lay them down at your feet, totally submitted to do your will with even our own money. Bless us as we go from here and help us to follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen.